Good morning. It's good to see you all. Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm going to uh, do, do a study um, over the next few weeks um, based on the Lord's Prayer, because I think about two weeks ago we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, it was somewhat like an introduction and overview, and I got a few text messages about certain questions and certain things, and I felt like on my heart, you know what, I might, I might, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to share that morning, you know, and I was just going with whatever came to my heart, you know, but um, I want to break it down for you and we'll do a study. I think it's a good way to start the year looking at the Lord's Prayer, breaking it down and we'll start with, you know, the first words that were uttered when the Lord was teaching us to pray and how we should pray this morning with um, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And ask God that he may uh, open our eyes, enlighten us, uh, reveal to us his ways. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise, Lord God, for this morning. We give you this day. We give you our life. We give you every morning, Lord God. And you may take control of every hour. That You may lead us, Lord God, as you say in your word, in and out of pasture, Lord God, that we can always find peace and grace in your embrace. Father, we pray that you continue to feed us according to your word, Lord God, that you would show us more and more of you and how we ought to be, how we ought to live, how we ought to glorify you. And in this we find freedom. You said in your word where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we pray, Father, that you teach us how to walk in the spirit, that we may always be free. And we pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Sometimes when um, I was thinking about the Lord's, Lord's Prayer, and I was thinking like, you know, what do I share? You know, how do I, you know, what, what should I share? There's so much you can share. Well, you know, should I share this? No, I'll leave that. I won't say that. It's like a box of chocolate. And you're looking at the box of chocolate and you're choosing the right flavor. Which, which one's really going to be, the, the, you know, the, the Turkish delight? You don't like Turkish delight? I'll, I always try to get the Turkish delight. And you're trying to get that right one, the one that you want, you know, and sometimes the Word of God is a bit like that, you know, you're trying to get the most out of God's Word. But without looking at the instructions, without looking at that little, little f- booklet that they give you, with, with shows you all the flavors and what they are, and without doing that, you're kind of left in the dark, you know, you kind of, and so without really looking at God's Word as the instruction, and you're not really getting much from his word. You know, some people, they can just kind of go open up the Bible and say, oh, I've read the Bible. Most people, when they tell you the Bible's full of contradictions and errors, if you ask them simply, oh, have you read the Bible? They'll say to you, yeah, yeah, I've read the Bible. I've, I've read the Bible. I go, oh, really? So which book? And they look at you stunned. They go, the Bible. I go, you just said you've read the Bible. You go, I have. I've read the Bible. Which book? What do you mean book? The Bible. So they don't even know that the Bible's made up of 66 books. So it's only a lie, it's only an illusion that they've read the Bible because they think they've read one chapter or they've, they've read one book, they think they've read the Bible and then they claim that it's full of contradictions. You know? And they, they're, they're really only regurgitating what they hear from sceptics and, and atheists but there's no real thorough um, depth to their argument. 
And so when we look at God's word in the same manner, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, I can't just kind of give you one sermon on the Lord's Prayer. I want to really break it down for you. So we look at the instructions and we look at what is God really trying to say? What is he really trying to say to me? The Bible isn't just a textbook. It's not just like a, a words or information. The Bible says it's the living word. It's alive. It's alive. That's why throughout whole generations they've wanting to get rid of it, burn it, Get it out of this world. And that's, the, that's what they do now. They still do that in different subliminal ways. Get rid of the Bible. If it's insignificant and so useless, why the, the zealousness to get rid of it? Why are you so threatened by it? Why are you so scared? If it's insignificant, why do you say, oh, no, get that out of my house? Like, no, no, don't, look, don't talk to him. He's got a Bible in his hand. What are you scared about? And how can it be so scary when everything in the Word of God is about goodness, righteousness, holiness, and how to live at peace? Isn't that absurd? But so it tells you that there's a spiritual warfare after the hearts and minds of people. Get rid of the living Word, because once you get rid of the living Word, you have death. Get rid of what is life, and what remains is just death. And that's the state of the world today. The, the state of the world today is in a place of darkness. There's death. There's no real life in it. People just want to cushion the truth of love. See, they, they want to be told that they're loved, but they don't understand the depth of love because love requires sacrifice. But I don't want that part of the sacrifice. Get rid of that and just give me love. Love is love. Love is love. But there's no depth to love is love. Love calls for commitment, for discipline, for will. Love calls for self-denial. But I don't want that. And so this idea of love is love is, is vague. It's, it's miserable. There's no depth to it. It's shallow. And you only experience the fruit of, of such an illusion years to come. But God's word is deep. You can't skim through it. You've got to get a shovel and you've got to dig. You've got to pull apart words. You've got to dissect chapters. You've got to take one principle and apply it to the next principle. You've got to look at the scriptures in its entirety. You can't say, I've read the Bible because you've looked at the book of Genesis. You've got to make your way all the way through the book of Revelation. And then you can say, yes. But even then, reading the whole Bible doesn't mean anything because it's a living. You've got to let it live in you. You've got to let the Word of God do its work in you. It's, it cuts, the Bible says. It's a two-edged sword. It goes in and it comes out. And when it, go, it goes in and comes out, it cuts both ways. That's the Word. But I don't want that. I don't want that. A lot of people are in love with Jesus, but they don't love His teaching. Oh, I love God, I love Jesus. But they don't love what he says. Because once you tell them what he says, it's almost like he's just a different person. I remember once I was talking to a group of students and a, a young man who was brought up in a Christian church we were having a conversation about Christ. And we were just talking, we were just talking about Jesus and what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And I said to this man, I go, yeah, you know, this young boy, I said, you know, it's, it's beautiful really because, you know, Jesus said unless... You love me more than your father, mother, sister, brother, your own flesh, your own life. You're not worthy of me. And this young boy who was brought up in the Christian home, in the Christian faith, in a Christian church, looked at me and he goes, what? I go, it's, 
what the Bible says. The Bible says, unless you love me more than your father. No, it doesn't. I go, yes, it does. He goes, where's that in the Bible? No way it'd say that. I'm going, are you a Christian? Yeah. Um, This is like a year 12 student, so he would have been around 16, 17. So your parents Christian? Yeah. Um, Your parents go to church? I've been going to church since I was a kid. Okay, so for 17 years, you've never heard that Jesus said that unless you love me more than your father, mother, sister, brother, you're not even worthy of me. Because where's that in the Bible? I have to show him in the Bible. Why don't you want to know that? Because it's not comfortable. It's not nice. But people don't realize that that is living. Those words are living. You want to know life? Then take the word of God and apply it and live. You want to know what death is? Reject God's word. And slowly find yourself fading to death. Jesus, when he came, he was like a light and everybody saw it. And it was so amazing that the disciples, they went to Jesus and they saw something different that they never saw in the Pharisees, in the priests. And they said to him, look, you know, you've got something. Teach us how to pray. They didn't ask the Pharisees or the high priests or the scholars or the, the, you know, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And this is the first thing we want to look at. He said to them, when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. Now the thought that comes to my mind when I was sharing this two weeks ago, I was aware that there's people in this room who probably don't like the concept of Father. There's probably people in this room who basically didn't have a good dad They probably had an abusive father, a neglectful father, a father that was absent, never there. And so when I say, our father who art in heaven, some people's hearts are warmed and others' hearts become defensive because years of abuse maybe. You know, and there's one thing to basically misinterpret the Bible And there's another thing to misconceive. So you can misunderstand or or have a different perception about certain words, like father. And today's day and age, yeah, we're probably seeing and hearing a lot more how a father's actions don't really depict one of love because we're caught up in the world in the system of money, 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 and the father's perception is that, you know, if I work hard enough and I provide bread and there's food and there's shelter, I'm, I'm being a good dad. And so, so when we think of God, we think, oh, God is someone who basically just works and he gives me food and that's, he doesn't want a relationship and as long as he kind of, there's food on the table, he, you know, he's okay. But that's not the perception of the father when Jesus was talking about his father because you've got to think of his relationship with his own dad. It's extraordinary, actually. The relationship that Jesus had with the father, I don't think any in, in, anyone in human race could ever have mustered that kind of fellowship or relationship with God the father and his son, Jesus Christ. I don't think, it's, it's, I don't think anyone that ever has existed, has had such a richer relationship with their father and their son. And so when he was telling him, and he was saying, our father, it was very significant. He was talking about his father. 
He knew his father. And he didn't say my father when he was teaching him. He was basically acknowledging him. He's your father too. My dad is your dad. It's beautiful, especially when he knows who his dad is. In fact, there's glimpses and passages in the Bible when you listen to Jesus pray. You hear him consistently say, Father, Father. In fact, there's three scriptures that he doesn't just say, Father. At one time, he says, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father is? Abba, uh, Abba, not the band. Abba is an Aramaic term that describes the Father in such a more intimate in such a more affectionate, in such a more warm term, that the closest that we probably would get to it is when we say, Daddy, Dad. And so when Jesus calls Abba Father, do you know when he called him Abba Father? At what point of his life he called him Abba Father? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his crucifixion just before he was being dragged to the cross, when he was in the deepest anguish he was ever in his whole ministry, at the darkest, deepest hour, there he was kneeling down before the Father and he goes, Daddy. See, that's like my son coming up to me with a deep, deep need that he doesn't speak but he just wants to stay close to me, put his head on my chest that I can feel his heartbeat. I can feel his pain. That's what Abba is. Daddy. What was he feeling and experiencing that all the time when he was saying, Father, Father, in his ministry, at that particular time, there was a cry that came out of him, says, Daddy. That's the Father he was talking to the disciples about. When you're broken, when you're wounded, when you're in darkness. It's not just the father, his daddy. And every prayer begins like this. Like a daddy, I'm in deep need. Daddy, you have to help me. Daddy. Now God is good. He's not neglectful. In fact, listen to some scriptures that I want to share with you. In Psalm 103. Verse 13, don't turn to these. I'll give you a passage to turn to later, but Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord has compassion. Just like a father has compassion, so the Lord is the same. And this word compassion, I love the fact that it's got the word passion in it, because it's basically passionate about someone else's needs. That's what compassion is. Someone who's compassionate is when they're moved so much by the sorrow and anguish and pain of someone else that they can't do any other thing than to act. That's what the word compassion is. It's not someone who just has self-pity or you know, empathizes but doesn't do anything. Someone who's compassionate is someone who takes active force to change the sorrow to joy. That's compassionate. And that's the heart of the Father. He's compassionate. So when you ask of him, Daddy, he doesn't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you feel. 
He does what needs to be done to turn that sorrow to joy. That's compassionate. Now, I want you to understand something, though. It's very significant because he's compassionate, listen to this, to those who fear him. This is, this, 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 this is the distinction because he's compassionate to those that fear him, which tells you that there's a different relationship between God the Father and some kind of people and God the Father and some kind of other people. And people don't like to hear this. Because we like to say, oh God, he's the father of everyone. We are all God's children. We are all God's children. Is that true? We're all sons of Adam, children of Adam. But are we all children of God? What does it mean to be a child of God? Because if you're coming to God and you're praying and saying, Father, the misconception is not just as much as who the father is, it's just as much who the child is. What is a child? Who's his child? One day Jesus was talking to the, to the priests, the Pharisees, and he said to them this, he said, think not within yourselves just because... You're the children of Abraham. Let me read the passage for you. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Very significant words. Don't think to yourself just because you say I am a child of Abraham that you have some significant favor before God, that you have some special privilege just because you are a child of Abraham. Now that's quite significant to the Jews because Abraham was a primary figure, a very significant figure. And just because you say I'm his child, I'm his son, I'm a son of Abraham, he goes, I could make children out of stone. Children out of stone? What does that even mean? He's saying, your birth, the fact that you are made, is not as significant as being a child of God. The fact that you just live and you become a child to someone, I can do that out of a brick. But to be a child of God is far more precious A child of God. A child of God. And so Jesus says, don't think within yourself. Like they weren't going out there saying, oh, you know, I'm I'm a child of... In their mind, subconsciously, they were thinking to themselves something like this. Oh, God loves me. I'm created in the image of God. I'm a child of God. But their heart, was so far removed from the Father. They had no idea who the Father was. They had no idea what a child to the Father should be. What does a child of God look like? Let me share something with you, a passage here. Jesus, I reckon, before the Father, although he was a man, was always a child. You know when you know when you 
uh, parents, I don't know, but you know, like you might have a, a child who's, who's five years old and they're so cute, five, and they get to seven years old and they're, you know, does the love change from five-year-old till they're 21? So when you look at your 21-year-old son, do you see them like a child? Could they, that could be 40, right? Do you see them like a child? I reckon the eyes of the father always saw Jesus as his child, just like we do. Like a child. My beloved son, look, whom I am well pleased. Now let me share something with you, because Jesus always spoke to his father, father, father. Listen to this, it's beautiful. In John chapter 17, it's one of the uh, a beautiful prayer that Jesus is speaking to, to, to his father and he's asking for different things and a different request. And in verse 24, he says this, Father, John chapter 17, verse 24, he says, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Can you hear, can you hear a, a child praying here? Father, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is my desire. Listen to this. This is what I want. This is my desire. Those that you've given me, I want them to be where I am. I want them to be where I am. That they may behold, that they may see the glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's like a kid, a child, who's been given this fantastic toy brilliant. And what does the kid who's been given a fantastic toy do? What's the first thing a kid with a fantastic toy do? You know, kids are better at this than adults. They want to share it with their friends. The first thing they want to do is show their mates. The first thing they want to do is tell their friends. That's the first thing they want to do. They have more joy in showing their friends what they've got than the actual toy. If their friend goes to them, oh, that's ugly, what do they do? becomes ugly. Their friendship is probably stronger. That relationship that they have with their friend to show them their toy is probably stronger than what we have now as growing adults because we become more skeptical of relationships. We get scared of being hurt. So we tighten up on our friendships. But kids, man, once they see a great movie, what do they want to do? They want to share it with their friend. Jesus here is saying to the father, Father, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. I want those whose friendships you've given me, those people who come into my friendship, I want to take them with me and I want to show them what you've given me. I want to show them the glory that you've given me. This is the child that is calling out to Abba Father. The friendship that he wants to keep and have and share his life with, he's asking his dad, Dad, please, Let my friends 
come and see all the toys in the world that you've made for me. Let them see everything that you've given me. This is the heart of Jesus when he was telling his disciples, this is how you pray. He's your father. He's your father. Now listen, this word Abba, Father, doesn't only belong to Jesus. Paul says it twice, two scriptures. Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. But do you know who else it belongs to? It belongs to those who give their life to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Father. God didn't give you a spirit of fear and anxiety and depression. He gave you a spirit that cries out to God and calls him Dad. That's what he's given you. That's why it doesn't belong to everybody because not everybody has the spirit of God. Not everybody wants God to be their father. Not everybody wants to be a child, a babe in the arms of God. Not everybody wants that. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Daddy, Father. Extraordinary. That's why he's telling him, this is how you pray. That spirit that the Spirit God has given you in your heart. You cry out, Father. He's my Father. He's my Dad. He's not abusive. He's not neglectful. He's not someone who just thought to themselves that, you know what? All I've got to do is what everybody does have children, raise them up, send them off, and I've done my job. There's a story about a, ma- a young boy and a lawyer standing before the, the judge who's committed a crime that he's got to pay for and the judge knows him because he knows his dad because his dad's also a lawyer. And he looks at the, the, the young man and he says, do you remember your dad? To somehow stir a conscience, it's probing his mind, you know? And the boy goes, yes. He goes, what do you remember about your dad? As though to kind of, you know, look what you've done to yourself. Because my dad, I remember, I used to go into his office and say, dad... Can I talk to you? And he'd say, run away, son. I'm busy now. Another time I came into his office and I said, Dad, can I have some advice? He goes, run away, son, not now. I've got to finish the book. And the judge looked at him and goes, ah. He finished the book and lost his son. But that's not God. God doesn't have other duties, other responsibilities, other jobs. He has one ministry, salvation. God's purpose wasn't just to give people life and existence in the physical body. God's ministry was salvation, eternity. The souls of man needed a place to abide. And it was in my presence and it was in my home, not in someone else's place or responsibility. Abba, Father, Daddy. When you approach God in prayer, you put your head on his lap, literally, and you pray. You can't pray to a distant God like religious people do. 
When you pray, you pray in faith as though your head is on his lap. You know why Jesus, you know why, why Jesus was a child again? If you, if, uh, I don't want to harp on, right? But let me share with you this, this verse here. It's a beautiful verse. John chapter 1, verse 18. I'll just read it for you. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. What does that even mean? No one has seen God, but the only son who is in the bosom of the Father, the bosom of the Father. What does that even mean? Well, the word bosom, if you want to try and get close to it, is, is, is on his side, almost on his lap. Jesus is in the lap of his father. That's why it's significant when you start thinking about Lazarus, who was a beggar, at, at the footsteps of a rich man's door. When he died, his position changed. Flipped over. He was at the steps of a rich man, and the rich man was now in the darkest chambers of hell, he looks up and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. Meaning he saw Lazarus sitting there on Abraham's lap. Abraham's lap? You know what that meant for the Jewish people? You know what Jesus was saying to the Jews? Because you look at Abraham as this most amazing, significant man. I'm telling you, this poor beggar who you see as scum and dirt is going to be sitting on the lap of Abraham. That's the intimacy. That's the intimacy. And Jesus sat, sits, sits on the lap of the Father like a, like a, like a son, literally like a son. So when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, are you sitting on the lap of God? Are you? Are you holding things in your heart that you know your Father's not pleased with, but you're still kind of, you know, I'm his child, I'm sitting on his lap. So the cry of our Father isn't Father. The cry of our Father is Daddy. I need you, you are everything. There's nothing in my life that I want more than you. Nothing I want to hold on to that doesn't please you. Nothing that I desire that is not honouring to you. I want to be a representation of who you are, Daddy. When people see me, I want them to say, he looks like his dad. He looks like his dad. When people see you, they want to be able to say, I know your dad, I know your father, because the way you act, the way you live, the way you, you, your life is, represents the only true God, the Father. And you know, from the very beginning, from the, from, from the, the dawn of creation, God always desired to be a father. In Psalm, 
It's a quote from Psalms, but Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, and he quotes, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What God's always wanted. His sons and daughters come out from that thing that's unclean and I will be your father. I will be your father, our father who art in heaven. And this is the most beautiful thing and I'll finish now. But we say our father who art in heaven because I think, I think if any concept or any relation when we think our father who is on earth seems to kind of diminish or destroy that concept of father, we're reminded again, no, no, no. God the father isn't like the father you have because the father you have dwells in the almighty kingdom. And if you want to rephrase our Father who art in heaven, it's penned in Psalm 68 verse 5, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. This is the kind of father that we have in the kingdom of heaven. The father that looks down from heaven who is merciful who is a father to the fatherless, who is kind, who is compassionate. That's the kind of father we have in heaven. God, Father, who art in heaven, not of this earth. Not of this. For me, I'm glad. I'm glad because I know then he's outside of my problems. Have you ever tried to counsel someone or, or share with them? something you know, to ease their load or something to comfort them. And the very thing that they're saying and sharing is the very pain that you've, you've experienced and that you, you know. And when you're sharing and you're counselling and you say to them, um, I, know, I know what you mean, I've, I've been there and I've I, I failed too. And, I, you know, and they look at you and they'll say, then why are you telling me all this then? Like, why are you telling me all this then if, you, if, you, if you're the same? I'll tell you why I'm telling you this, because you're in the heat of the moment. You're exploring and experiencing all those emotions, and I'm not. So I can think clearly, and I'm outside of your place, and your burdens and your pain don't affect my decisions and my thoughts and my rational thinking. Therefore, I'm able to give you that. You understand? And God is like that. God in our Father in heaven. He's outside of my space. So when I call upon him, I know, I know my dad is able to meet my needs. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We'll leave that for next week, God willing. Holy is your name. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Look, the message is very simple this morning. You can't pray to God. 
Honestly, you can't pray to God in any effective way or any effective manner unless you truly know him as your father. Unless you truly know the spirit of God that brings you into this adoption as a son or a daughter. Everything else is vain babbling. It's just words. It's just religion. But when God calls you into his place, into his family, he gives you his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was in Christ. And that spirit calls out and says, Father, Abba, Daddy. And there your life begins. There your prayer comes forth. Because you know him. He's your dad. So if you've got a prayer this morning, if there's any prayer that's going to be of value to you, it's this. God, I don't know you. I thought I did. But I don't know you as my father. Pour all your Holy Spirit into my life. Adopt me as a child. That from now on, I will live, love, and serve you. And I know as a good dad, you will watch over me, you will guard me, and you will protect me. There is no fault, there's no wrong in you. As you have your heads bowed, let's reflect. As we pray, Let's stand and share this song.
Father in heaven, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Thank you, Father. Help us always remember when we speak the word Father that we understand the words we say in our prayer and what they really mean. I pray, Father, for all those in this place this morning, those who don't know you, Lord God, those that have no idea of the reality of your presence in one's life. I pray, Lord God, that you would make yourself known to them. Knock out their heart, Lord. Cast out every doubt, every confusion. May your presence fill their lives. Draw them, Father, to your word. Let them see how alive and how true you are. To all those who call upon your name, they shall be saved. In the name of Jesus... They shall find salvation. They shall find repentance and forgiveness from sins. I pray that you would bless them as they go. Be with them. Reveal yourself to them. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, Father. Amen.